0: This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to Mum in Minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting WISE.com. Kia ora, I'm Chelsea Daniels. It's January 30th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The cost of living crisis has come for the world's biggest streaming services, Neon earlier this month became the first service in New Zealand to include ads on the platform after Netflix and Disney Plus kick-started the trend internationally last year. It comes as what was a major growth industry just a few years ago slows with the services starting to slash budgets and in some cases wiping underperforming shows to save on taxes. So, with prices rising and content slowing, what does the future hold for streaming services in New Zealand and around the world? Today on the front page, Duncan Grieve, founder and writer at the spin-off, joins us to discuss a once-promising sector with a now uncertain future. Duncan, what do you make of Neon introducing ads across their tiers and raising prices at the same time?
1: I mean, it does outwardly look pretty cheeky, right? You know, both those things together looks kind of yeah, like like you're sort of taking advantage of consumers. But I actually think it's almost inevitable in this era where. You know, the whole of the streaming boom was predicated on ultra low interest rates and ultra cheap capital. And all of a sudden, the whole of streaming is dealing with the fact that the cost of content has gone up and, you know, whatever your debt service costs, everyone is now operating in a really different financial environment. Therefore, prices which were once tolerable now aren't and every revenue stream needs to be tapped at the same time.
0: Do you reckon it's got anything to do with all of those originals that they're pumping out? I mean, Netflix alone must do a couple of hundred a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the number of original shows was on a crazy uptick that felt like it might never end. For about seven years in a row, the number of original scripted shows went up by sort of 50 or 60 a year. And I think it peaked in about 21 or 22, and it's now markedly declining. And all uh, of the streamers, including Netflix, somewhat shockingly, are all saying, We're going to be making less shows now, significantly less. And, you know, that's another sort of dynamic in that you're being asked to pay more for less content. But if everyone's doing it at the same time, you don't really have an option as a consumer apart from getting out of the whole thing entirely.
0: Yeah, perhaps it's time for everyone to put their manuscripts aside for the moment because Netflix aren't picking up as many shows as they once were.
1: Yeah, I think there is a bit of a chill through the industry. You obviously had the long-running writers and actors strike last year, one of the biggest labour stoppages in decades in Hollywood, which impacted the amount of shows that were made and promoted during that time. But now you're seeing that the new normal post the resolution of those is just less shows being made full stop. So it might be seen as a bit of a pyrrhic victory um, for those strikes and that there's just less content being made overall.
0: Yeah, and those strikes as well, they were wanting to secure residuals for the people working on those shows and movies hosted on these services.
1: Right now, stars are shining a light on one of their big sticking points, streaming residuals. Kamiko Glenn, best known for her work on Orange is the New Black, shared this video on TikTok over the weekend following a check Netflix sent her for royalties for $27, y'all. This has more than 4 million views, with commenters pointing out how big of a show Orange is the New Black was for Netflix.
0: Do you think these arrangements are going to affect what these streaming services eventually produce?
1: I don't, at least in the immediate term. I mean, residuals were historically payments when shows went into syndication. You might have friends running at sort of 5.30 on three or something, and there will be small payments made to the sort of key writers and and actors on a show like that. And they haven't translated into the streaming era historically, that, you know, you just got a lump sum up front, which might even be a bigger payment, but that would be it. And what the New Deal does is say that if... 20% of a a streamer's audience watches a show, then that triggers bonus payments. But there was a huge release of data from Netflix at the end of last year, which showed that the tiniest proportion of the shows that they commission actually reach that, what is that, functionally a very high threshold. So it's unlikely to trigger many payments. And the people I've spoken to, you know, writers, directors, actors, they don't view it as so much of a it's not going to reward you in the immediate term, but it provides a baseline for future negotiations where they can pull that number down and hopefully more shows will become eligible in future deals.
0: Mm, And it kind of makes these companies more transparent in a way, right?
1: Yeah, well, historically, that's been a big complaint from the writers, actors, directors that no one knew how their show was doing. There were some External analytics is actually a New Zealand company, Parrot Analytics, which used a variety of sources to kind of give a bit of a, a heat index for streaming shows, but no one ever really knew what was going on. If you subscribe to Netflix, and then the first thing you watch is Stranger Things, they
0: know that's why they have your $15, right? They are just refusing to tell anybody what the metric is because that allows them to obfuscate. They want to create the impression that the business
1: model doesn't allow them to share in the proceeds this way, but that's not the case. And that's why Netflix, which has had historically been incredibly tight with its data, only introduced top tens last year suddenly has completely flipped that on its head and provided a massive release of data towards the end of last year, which, you know, has kind of changed the game in terms of what people can understand about the streaming market and shows them, as usual, to just be ahead of the pack in that respect.
0: Screen Producers New Zealand has recently joined an international call to regulate these streaming giants. They're urging governments around the world to protect cultural sovereignty by getting them to reinvest in the production of local stories, say. What do you think about this proposal and do you think it would ever be successful?
1: Good question. I'll take it in both parts. I think the proposal is a good one. You know, One of the big risks you have in the globalised content environment is that Everyone's watching shows from all around the world so that a small country like New Zealand, yes, it has some new export opportunities, and you can see that with the success of people like Taika, Waititi, but... It also means that New Zealand consumers who used to see a lot of New Zealand content naturally on linear television now might see very, very little on the likes of Netflix and Disney+. So you either accept that and the kind of all of the flow-on impacts to your local culture and identity that go with it, or you do something legislatively about it. So I do think it's a great and very necessary proposal As to whether it will happen, I mean, Australia has done something pretty similar already that Netflix doesn't like. Australia has taken the lead on globally, along with the EU, on regulating these technology companies. So we'll see how that goes. I just don't know if with this government, and we've got a history, you know, governments of all stripes of, of leaving technology companies alone. So it would be quite a big change to go back on that. So we'll see. But I don't hold out a huge amount of hope.
0: Yeah, I mean, because some governments have tried this by making, say, social media giants pay for news content and in retaliation the likes of Facebook has just stopped featuring news content on their platforms
1: social media giant Facebook has followed through on its threat, restricting people in Australia from viewing news content. The government has been trying to find a way to make tech giants pay for Australian generated news content that they use because currently media organisations make the content but the tech giants use it and they get the advertising dollars for it. Both Google and Facebook had made threats to stop delivering their services in Australia in response to these proposed laws. Google's had a change of heart, it's been striking deals with media companies. Clearly Facebook is going an entirely different direction.
0: Could something like this happen here in this space? I mean,
1: I think that's quite an interesting element of this whole discussion is that New Zealand, you know, historically, because it's the small market that has a lot of elements that are similar to larger markets, has been a good place to test ideas positively. Things like FPOS, you know, they sort of rolled out here before they rolled out elsewhere, I think there's a chance that we see an inverse of that in that the tech companies might view us as insignificant in terms of our actual revenues and really try, say, cutting off New Zealand from a Netflix or or a, a Facebook if there were legislation because it would show that they're serious without impacting revenue particularly. I haven't heard any rumblings, I should stress, but you can logically game it out and it doesn't seem all that far-fetched. So that's why I think governments are a little bit reticent in this area. But I think over time, regulation feels inevitable. So it's just gonna be a cat and mouse decade in that respect.
0: The big global streamers have invested heavily in Australian productions, but as you've written about in the past, the likes of Disney and Netflix haven't barely made any New Zealand content. What do you what do you think about this?
1: I mean, it's just a scale problem, isn't it? Any significant size market, you're going to make content for them just so that you've got a story to tell and to hook audiences in, and you become confident that that will flow out through the rest of your system when you're operating at the scale of a Disney or a Netflix New Zealand doesn't have that local market to demand that it makes productions. Right now, the only way that they would get commissioned would essentially be on their own merits for an international rather than a domestic audience. So, you know, again, that's why absent legislation, that's probably going to stay that way.
0: Do you think the government should really support or or intervene locally in order to tell our own stories? Or do we really just have to sit back and hope that the likes of, I don't know, the US really want to hear some New Zealand stories?
1: It's interesting, right? Like, we've historically been very comfortable intervening in the screen sector you know you think about the screen production rebates the hobbit law it's been a very powerful sector that has been able to get legislation made to its advantage but that's really been driven by film and by sort of the theatrical release of film largely by peter jackson himself and, and now james cameron has moved here but whether they will be able to, the local industry, go a step further and put pressure on the, the streamers themselves, we haven't really seen that. And, you know, we've got a government that has come on board with a sort of, a, you know, trying to shrink government, trying to be less activist in some respects. So while there is an economic argument for it in some respects, that it depends whether it fits their thesis and their attention span, really.
0: And in terms of streaming services, I mean, there are so many of them and I've heard left, right and centre people saying that they've cut down. I mean, how many do you subscribe to?
1: Oh, God. I mean, probably close to 10. I mean, that's the nature of my job as I try and stay across quite a few of them. Um, you're not the
0: best person to ask then. <laughs>
1: oh, that's, I'm not a normal consu- consumer in that respect. But anecdotally, you know, th- this idea of subscription fatigue, which doesn't just sit within streaming, there's, you know, everyone wants a subscription business now because they have stable, reliable revenue that you can sort of grow over time. But if you're a consumer, suddenly you, you see your... Take-home pay packet, and like thirty percent of the free spending might actually go out the door every month on subscriptions. So you see, especially during the sort of cost of living crisis and high inflation environments, that a lot of people are looking hard at their subscriptions and asking which they really need and everyone used to complain about sky right which was about 80 bucks a month and it had almost all the content you could ever want and there was a this sort of liberating idea that that netflix would deliver a lot of the value you got from sky for you know twelve dollars a month and suddenly now if you've subscribed to a few of these things you're pretty close to that eighty dollar a month fee you're probably not getting sports there's still things you're missing out on and it sort of you know, the new boss is worse than the old boss in that respect
0: because yeah, the initial appeal really wasn't it offering a huge library of titles for such a low price, but as the market has gotten more crowded, those prices have gone up. Uh, we're seeing ads now. It's not seen as such a great deal anymore, right? So especially in the cost of living crisis.
1: The Amazon price hike is $3 a month on top of the $139 a year Amazon Prime membership. Subscribers who don't want to pay the extra charge will have to watch commercials before and during movies and shows. Max will soon charge an extra dollar a month for ad-free. Netflix stopped offering its cheapest ad-free plan. And Disney raised prices for commercial-free subscribers by $3 a month.
0: Does this spell disaster, do you think, for streaming services? Or are they generally here to stay?
1: I think streaming is here to stay. But the, the big word for 2024 you know, that people are talking about is consolidation. And there's already rumors that Warner Brothers Discovery uh, might absorb Paramount, one of the most famous film studios in the world. It's still quite a fragmented market, generally. And that's and you see that in these sort of dozens of different streaming platforms. Now, some of them, like Crunchyroll or You, which do anime and, and reality TV, respectively, they're quite happy paying it in their niches, but it's the big mainstream mass market options which are really sort of struggling uh, to have enough scale, enough audience to justify the cost of content for them. So I think look over 2024 and 2025 to see some of those operations merge because unlike with a lot of technology sectors, they can do that without prompting antitrust concerns because there is still a lot of, Diversity and competition within the market.
0: And you've obviously had a lot of experience. So you've got ten plus streaming services on your agenda. Do you recommend any kind of one or two for people to keep? And um, what's your top pick? What do you watch the most?
1: I probably watch Neon the most. Uh, you know, historically, was a huge fan of of HBO, and Neon has the vast bulk of HBO's output. And I think that. Sky, for all the knocks on it, and I'm still actually a, a linear Sky subscriber. I think, you know, for me, um, Neon, it's nowhere near as big a bag as Netflix, but the actual quality of its top tier, both across film and television, makes it number one for me. I think most people would struggle to give up on Netflix. It just releases so much and such a broad range of high-quality content. And then, and here's one that you get for free. I mean, TBNZ Plus is just a fantastic service and it's pretty decent technology. It has a great library of local content and they're still, you know, even given their recent sort of financial challenges, they've still got these great deals that give them a a strong library of international content too. So that's a bit of a cheat with three, but um, I think they're the ones that you can't go past.
0: Thanks for joining us, Duncan. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Seals with sound engineer Paddy Fox. I'm Chelsea Daniels. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.